Romans, the 12th chapter. Praise the Lord. We might have got our, our timing with our kids off just a little bit. Doesn't make for a really effective or reverent prayer when people are headed out the door, but we'll have to see how that works. <laughs> I thought they were going to wait till after we prayed, but we'll have to see how that goes. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. So, uh, you know, in the day that we live in, uh, the time that we live in, uh, lots of confusion, lots of things going on, lots of uh, pressure. Uh, I've heard more in the last two weeks of people feeling pressure from one side or the other to make this decision or that decision about this side or that side. And really, we're not really to find ourselves in such a quandary and a pressure according to the systems and the processes of this world. And again, I, I'm thankful that we live in the United States of America. I encourage you. Uh, you have the right and the privilege, not only the right and the privilege, but the responsibility as an American to vote. And you have the responsibility to begin to study and to look at what the platform is, what the record of the people that you're voting for, what their, their, their thoughts are on agendas. Not just look at the sides. I know there's a lot of questions about a lot of different things. But when you look at that and you begin to pray, really, uh, it, this is really not a time to... I mean, our elections are not high school class presidents. They're not popularity contests based on personality. Our elections are really supposed to be on who is leading us in a direction. Right? And so we've allowed this opinion or that opinion to pressure us and... We as the church shouldn't be getting into figuring out how you feel about that and then letting that divide our hearts from loving one another. Amen. Right? right? And so it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on or whether you understand what side of the aisle somebody is on or not. What really brings us together is our love one for another. And even when we begin to look at Scripture, and sometimes we look at Scripture and we begin to think that Paul was sitting somewhere in a nice, cozy church in America writing the gospel, and he wasn't. He was writing in the midst of a pagan world and a pagan generation. The church wasn't just all of a sudden the predominant force. As we've seen in America, the church, uh, God blessed America. We had people come here to worship God and, and to have freedom to worship God. It's been the foundation and the establishment of our nation. And so, you know, after 200 and some years, we look and we think, wow, the, the Bible looks like this. But the church raised up out of paganism. The church moved forward out of Judaism into the Messiah. He wasn't writing in a posh place. He was writing from a prison that was a hole in the ground many times. Right? He wasn't writing about an easy conformity. He was talking about people where the, the politics in the world and the things did not agree with them. I had a text today asking what, what we might do. Uh, you know, somebody in the church said we, and again, I'm not trying to get too opinionated. I'm just trying to help us here. So I know I can stir up a bunch of stuff today. But what, what do you say? Yeah, it was just a, a pastor asking me, what do you say when somebody tells you we shouldn't be shopping at Starbucks because of their views on politics and life and really their liberal 
And uh, you know what? I don't know exactly how to answer that except for I'm not sure where the Apostle Paul bought his coffee, but there wasn't Christian resources all around to subscribe to and do that. He was living in a world, and in fact, if you get right down to it, the empire and the, the Roman Empire and all that stuff, you know, they pay taxes to them. So if you got to the point of where does all this go, so I'm not doing it, you might have a big problem. And so I'm not opposed. We have the right and the privilege to say if we don't, like what you stand for, we cannot shop there. That's, that's okay with me. But we're just talking about our local effectiveness. What about the barista at Starbucks? Do we start not going there and shopping? Or can we go to Starbucks and engage in a, a relationship with their barista there, show them the love of God, and open up a relationship and lead them to Jesus? Because I don't know what the stance, I don't know what Arby's stance has ever been. <laughs> but man, when I, when I first moved to Glenwood Springs, Arby's and Burger Chef, they don't even have Burger Chef anymore, but Arby's and Burger Chef were about the only place for me to eat as a single guy. And I started going to Arby's and the gal at the counter, you know, I went about every night after work. And so she worked about every night. And so she got curious as to who I was because I was coming in to eat at Arby's every single night. She's like, you must really love Arby's or you are a sad, sad person. And she found out I wasn't a sad person. I was a happy person. I just like beef and cheddar. <laughs> and so, so you know, I, I'll never forget. She came over busting tables one, one night. I was there late because sometimes I just decided I lived in a one-bedroom. I lived in a room right above the daily bread. My bathroom was down the hall. So we're blessed now. But when I first moved here to help with the church, it was different. And so... Sometimes I just got claustrophobic, so I would go to Arby's like right before they closed at 10. And so she came to bust a table, and she's like, what, what do you do? Why are you here late at night? And I started talking to her, and, you know, just like weird, a weird movie that you're watching, she kind of pulls out the chair and sits down to talk to me while I'm eating, and she's supposed to be bussing. We get into the conversation, and before you know it, I'm just telling her why I'm there to work with the church and sharing Jesus with her. And about two weeks later, I prayed with her at one of those tables to be born again. Amen. Now, come on. That's more important than whether or not Arby's is. So I might not like what Arby's is doing, and I get that whole deal. Do we support that? But when we're locally, there's people working there that we still have an opportunity to be a light in the midst of the darkness. And sometimes we can ca get caught up in all the stuff, and, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit today, but kind of the high-minded stuff that's going on around us. And Paul tells us if we're going to overcome evil with good, then instead of getting into all the high-minded stuff that people try to get you into, sometimes it's just better to associate with the humble and lead them to Jesus. And so here in Romans chapter 12, verse 22, one, he says, overcome, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we've just gone back in, in just a little bit over the last few weeks to break down some of this idea of overcoming evil with good. And so if you've been taking notes, we have a, a list of different things because we start in chapter one. But number one, give your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship, some translations say. It's a good thing to give our body as a living sacrifice. It's reasonable. Jesus gave his whole life, his whole body to us as a sacrifice for us. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world that the sacrifice of his life and his body 
brought us life. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And Paul says it's only a reasonable thing when you think about worship that we would give our bodies, our actions, our conduct as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable service. You say, how does that overcome evil with good? Well, if you go back to what Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said in, in, in describing where sin came from and how sin brought condemnation and death and Jesus' effective righteous work brought justification to all and how we reign over life where he said if we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we'll reign in life through one Jesus Christ. He's saying that really sin has come to dictate the nature of our flesh and dominate the, the desires of our flesh and of our mind. But when we receive the grace, that goodness, that unmerited favor, that ability of God, that divine influence upon our heart that has its reflection in our life, we begin to reign over that. And he says, where grace abounds, sin, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And he goes through that whole thing and talking about the death, burial, and resurrection that we died with him, we raised with him. And so sin no longer has dominion over us. And so they ask that question that no longer has dominion over us because we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. And he asks that question. The Romans seem to ask that question. So great, grace is cool. Should we sin? They ask that twice. Great. If there's grace there, should we continue to sin? Since we're not under the law, we're not bound. And he said, but I want you to understand something. That even though I just laid out the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and just as you died with him and were raised to a newness of life, you have to understand the dynamics of righteousness and of sin. That if you give your members over as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, sin will once again enslave you and govern your life. But if now that you're born again, you've been made righteous, you've been put in right relationship with God, now if you give your members over to walk in that relationship with God, that relationship will enslave you or that relationship of righteousness will now govern your life. So when Paul comes and says you overcome evil with good, he says if you don't understand and you're giving your body, you're giving your conduct over to the desires and the sinful nature, he says it'll again bind you. You'll never be able to overcome evil with good if your conduct does not line up with good. Your actions, what you give your body to. So he says, first of all, give your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. So we watch where we're moving our life, what we're giving our body over to. You know, we always just think, uh, you know, uh, what, I, what I do today is not really a big deal. But I remember, you know, years ago we had some youth over to our house. Um, Tasha had art class, and so I just invited a whole bunch of youth that got saved in the park and in, in uh, Strawberry Park over to our house. And so we started having a youth meeting. And so we had to take two breaks in our youth meeting for them to go out and have a cigarette on our porch. <laughs> Those are the kind of people that we were talking to, that we were... And so one of these guys that hung out with him, I had known for a long time, and he'd gone to our school. And so one day we were just talking about how long, and I know this may sound weird, but I'm, I'm trying to get to a point, how long they had all been smoking. We say it all started smoking, which was unbelievable to, to me, uh, how young they had been smoking. And so this kid pipes up and says something about smoking, and they all just... <laughs> 
You never, you never smoked. You never even really inhaled. And they were making fun of him. It just dawned on me, and I stopped for a minute, and I said, now listen, y'all are still smoking, and I believe that you're going to get delivered. But understand this, that the moment he put a cigarette in his mouth, he gave opportunity to become a slave of smoking. So you think, I'll just do it once. I'll just try it. I'll just... But when you give yourself to something, it takes an opportunity to enslave you. It's just a principle. And so Paul comes in and he says, listen, if you want to overcome evil with good, if you really want to start walking in this path, give your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. All right? So we just think, you know, I'll just try it. Don't just try it. Well, everybody else is doing it. So what? A lot of times they're doing it. Because they can't help but not do it because they've become a slave of it. They're not really enjoying it. They would love to stop if they could. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus breaks the power of that sin enslaving you and sets you free. He says, once you've been set free, watch what you give your body to. All right, secondly, he says, uh, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the next way that we overcome evil with good is that we renew our mind to the word of God, right? We don't think as others think. The, the Ephesians says, Paul said to the Ephesians, he said, listen, we don't allow ourselves to go to the futility of the uselessness of mindsets of the world that don't profit us. Right? We don't just think along the lines of the world and the temporal and what, what's going on today, but we start to renew our mind to what God really has designed for us. And he says we renew our mind to the point that we prove. In other words, we begin to not just say, man, I, I, I've studied all this and I, I, I'm theologically correct or I, I know all this, I could memorize this, I could quote this all to you. But he says, no, we're bringing down not to prove that this is the will of God by debate, but we're so renewing our mind, and it's saving that that word is cleansing and, and washing our thought process that the way that we think dictates the way that we act, and we prove that this truly is the will of God for our life. We prove it out. We're not just proving by, I can debate that with you, because I know that. No, I know that, so I'm living it, and I'm proving that it is the will of God. Right? So he goes on to say, and we overcome that with the thought processes. He talks about that those, those thought processes that though we're in the world, we're not of the world, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down thoughts, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I mean, really, how many times if we, if we could capture every thought, which he tells us to, but if we could capture every thought, and examine every thought that is actually contrary to the obedience of Christ. Well, we'd be throwing down some thoughts for a while. Until we train ourselves to think in line with what's obedient to Christ. Right? We capture thoughts. We grab thoughts. The enemy uh, really begins to, to, to bring thoughts into our mind at a rapid pace. In this information age, he's throwing stuff here and there. He'll cause you to just pick up your phone, look at Facebook, and immediately you're, you're thinking, you're, you're, you're looking at that just going, my God, what in the world is going on? And your thought process can get, in a moment, totally contrary to Christ. 
You can be examining somebody, what they're doing, and begin to get angry or disgusted at it. it. has nothing to do with God or Christ. It's entered into your mind, and now all of a sudden what? So we overcome evil with good because that thought life, that thought life really determines our decision-making. And our decision-making, our direction, and our direction, our destination. So he goes on to say, we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. What we think humbly is God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. And so we just talked about if we're going to overcome evil with good, we cannot be prideful in our thinking, but we have to humble ourselves. And really part of that humility he ties in with the next thing that we talked about, that if we're going to overcome evil with good, then we know that God has put graces or giftings in our life that are unique to us, that as we begin to discover those, we unfold those gifts in our life, we begin to use them, it begins to impact people. And the thing about impacting people and making a change in people's lives is we, st we can start out in one way with, with great intention. We can start out one way to help people, but when really all of a sudden people start telling us, man, you're awesome, man, you're, you're, you're great at this, man, and without you I couldn't have done that, it's very easy to make a switch over from humility of how I wanted to help you Wow, I'm really something. When we start to understand the greatness of God's gifts and the grace that he put on the inside of us and the impact of the grace that he put on the inside of us, I believe that God already knew that if you start operating according to those gifts, those graces, they're empowerments of God. They're something that will take you beyond your own ability into something that only God can do. Because if what we're doing is only simply what we could achieve, we're in trouble. Right. When we really get divided, because some people are a lot smarter than other people, some people are a lot more talented than other people, and some of those are graces and gifts from God, and some of those are passed down genetically, and some of those are just somebody worked hard and developed something. Right. But you don't want me standing up here and saying, let me, let me lead the singing today. Thank God for that talent, and some people are gifted by God, but some people just can sing, and some can't, right? And so some of that's there, but when, it, when we think, I could do that, I could just do that on my own, I can do that with my talent and my ability, we position ourselves in a bad place that the enemy begins to take something in our life and guide it in an area of pride that we could do it ourselves. And the thing about humility is to say, when God says, I want you to utilize this gift and I want you to impact some people with your teaching, or I want some to impact people with your exhortation, our first mind when we're humble is, God, I can't do that. And I believe God says, I know you can't do that. I know this for a fact, that when God called Tony to the mission field, she said, no way, I can't do that. But God called her, and there's a grace upon her life. As a single woman, she's gone all, the, all over the world, and she's establishing Bible schools that are affecting nations. And certainly we can look hindsight and say, look at what she's done, and this is awesome. But I know from the beginning that she had to depend upon the grace of God and the ability and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do everything that she did. She had to have the encouragement of God. When he says be strong and very courageous, she had to meditate on and be very courageous that God was calling her, that God had appointed her, that there was a grace in her life that was beyond what she could do to pack up in the Philippines, which was tough enough, but it was, 
more comfortable than Nepal and pack up and go to Nepal and start a brand new school in a place that she didn't know. But man, look what God has done with what she humbled herself and gave to him. And you might admire that and say, boy, I could never do what Tony did, but whatever it is that God has gifted you in, if you humble yourself, he will do something with it. But when you look at that, I mean, it, I, I, maybe she's never been tempted with that, but when people come around and go, man, how did you do that? That was so great. Look what you've done. She could start going, yeah, you know, I really, you know, when I look at it, I really have done something. Because the grace of God will take you beyond your own, and it'll be very easy to say, look what I've done, instead of look what God has done through me. And I believe Paul knew that, and so he said, take the grace and serve people. Serve people with the grace that's in your life. Don't build your own kingdom and your own uh, uh, accolades from it, but serve people with the grace that is in your life. He goes on to say, really, you overcome evil with good by loving God, loving people, and hating evil. Hating evil. I think that's something in the church as we mesh through our culture today is really to begin to de define what is evil and what is good. Because we have fallen into a place, there's evil and there's good, there's God and there's, there's the devil and there's this place that really there's probably a, a finer line of demarcation than we have, but we, at least in America, we have, there's good, there's evil, and then to us, there's not too bad. Well, I don't know if that's evil, I don't know if that's good, but it's not that bad. But if it's not that God, then it's not that good. And there's nothing that God's telling us to do, nothing that he's commanded, nothing that he's instructed us to do that is there to hurt us. Everything that God has instructed us to do with our thought life, with our body, with the giftings that are on the inside of us was to love and to reach and to serve people. But it also empowers us to stay away from the sin that so easily besets us, that sin that would ensnare us. And so he said, you have to abhor evil. You have to hate evil. Not entertain evil. You have to hate evil. You have to recognize what is evil and hate it and love what is good. Talks to us about loving and esteeming others. Next thing to overcome evil with good is we can't be lazy. Come on, we can't be lazy. Too often in our, our Christian life, we get lazy. We get lazy with our Christianity. We get lazy with the Word of God. We think we've known it. We've studied it. We've heard that before. But really, our, 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 what's tasked upon us, what's given to us, I don't want to make it sound laborsome because it's not. God said, if you're burdened and you're heavy laden, it's not me. Come unto me and I will give you rest. So even if it's the word of God, if it seems burdensome to do the word of God, the devil's lying to you because the word of God is not burdensome, right? John even told us in his epistle, his first epistle, he said, really, this is how you understand the love of God. The love of God in you and your love for God is when his commandments are not burdensome. When we love God, we're like, wow, this is awesome to do and to walk and to live the life that you have given me to live. And so he said, listen, we're not supposed to get lazy with this word. We're not just supposed to come every Sunday and hear the word and never think about applying it the rest of the week. 
Not to become slothful, not to be lazy in the things that we do. Because if you get lazy and if you get slothful, the enemy will start to take advantage of you. Then he talks about being patient with everything. And that's really, when we look at that, why would we be patient? Because it begins to develop character on the inside of us. You know, even as we talk today about faith being right now, sometimes if we're not careful, we think faith is right now. And so if I believe God, it's like McDonald's. I prayed, I believe God, I drive around the corner and God performs. Well, God's not the McDonald's drive through window guy. When you start to understand faith and believing God right now and trusting God and acting upon God's word right now, the writer of Hebrews tells us to understand how things came about with the patriarchs of old, that it was by faith and patience that they inherited the promise. In other words, your faith is revealed in times of trouble, and if you can't remain in faith through trouble, you'll never see the end result of your faith. Some people bail. They're like, I'm believing God, and trouble starts, and they're like, why am I even believing God to begin with? Because that trouble was coming, and God knew it, and he said, listen, I want you to believe that I am true, I'm honest, I'm just about this thing, and when you enter into it, stay with me all the way through it, because the trying of your faith works patience, and when you let patience have its perfect work, you'll be complete and entire, lacking nothing. Come on, he said, it's going to take some time that when you say you believe this and the enemy comes against you to keep walking out what you believe until you 100% defeat the strategies of the enemy that are coming against you and trying to keep you from something great that God has for you. Amen. So we develop our character. So I just want to launch into this uh, a little bit. We're going to go to verse 14. I know there's a lot there, and we've reviewed all that, but I'm just trying to give you that. Listen, in the world that we live in today, if you haven't been tempted with a number of these things, if your mind hasn't been bombarded, if you haven't been tempted with pride, and even when people are talking to kind of stand up and say, well, I'm better than you because I'm a Christian, and, and, and you're, you don't understand these things. We're, we're trying to really come to the place where we can overcome all that junk that's around us and, and, and the, the stuff that's pressing in against us to be a light in a dark place. So he brings us to some of these things in a, in a total place and so in verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And so these next few verses, I just put in the, the summary. If we're going to overcome evil with good, that we have to become relationally strong. We have to become relationally strong. So he said, bless those. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. How easy is it? How how easy, I'm just asking you, probably none of you, I'm the only one that gets frustrated when, when people hound me or, you know, they disagree with me. I just have to tell you this, that sometimes, you know, when people send emails or complaints and they're, they're pursuing something and they want to say, well, I don't agree with this or that or this or that, or they saw it online and they, they, they well, I don't agree with that, that I just kind of just think this. I'm just being honest. Just like, you know what, if you don't like it, just leave me alone. I mean, there's so many other things you can listen to. If you don't like what I'm saying, listen to somebody else. Why do you have to pursue me to point out that you don't like me? But that's the word persecute. It means to pursue, right? Somebody comes after you, and he says, when somebody comes after you to dog your tracks about something, he said, just bless them. 
Don't curse them. And he's not really talking about don't curse at them. (laughs) I'm not saying that's okay, but that's not what he's talking about. Right? He's saying that be careful that when people are coming at you that you don't find yourself wishing ill will towards them. Don't find yourself turning and saying, I wish something happened to you. But bless them. It's a hard thing to do. Right? But as we've seen in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, 43 or 4, and 44, he said, listen, that you should, it says that you, you, an eye for an eye. He said, but I'm just telling you, don't just love those who love you, but love those who hate you. Pray for those who use you, those who persecute you, right? He said there's something that distinguishes us and different, and Paul carries through what Jesus said, and it's difficult when somebody's dogging your tracks to stop and say, you know what, what I really want to do is I want to bless you. There's so many ways to pronounce a blessing, but really Paul is saying right here that as God has pronounced a blessing upon you, that you declare the blessing of God upon those that even persecute you. God will have you start praying for people who persecute you. And we just told this story a couple weeks ago. I won't tell you, I won't go through it all again, but, you know, that woman who came after me and was arguing with me, and God said, you, I want you to do this right here, this Matthew chapter 5. I want you to pray for her. She ended up getting born again, and I got to baptize her. In other words, God wanted to bless her, not have me curse her for what she had done or said to me. And I told you, you know, I just want to call fire down from heaven. That would kind of be a curse. But thank God he didn't have me calling fire down from heaven or something should happen. He had me pray for her. Why? Because God wanted to bring her into the kingdom. And Paul begins to understand this, and we can so often get in that place where we get an ill will towards one another. And so he says in verse 14, if we're going to develop this relationship, that we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. Paul is saying there's something on the inside of us as a body that we need to have empathy for one another. We have to take on the feelings of others and the, 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 the place where others are. It's very difficult to minister to others when we don't even know what's going on with them. We don't know what they're feeling. We don't know where they're at. And especially within the body and the relationship of the body, we should understand that the body where there's people who are hurting and they're struggling and they're weeping, that we weep with those who weep. And when there's those who are honored and they're rejoicing, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's too easy to be overcome by evil instead of overcoming evil with good. And watch somebody who's blessed. Right? He says it this way to the Corinthian church when we're talking about the body. He says when one member of the body right, suffers, we all suffer with it. And when one member is honored, we all rejoice. See, sometimes we read that and we think when one member, other member rejoices, we rejoice with them. But he says when one is honored, we rejoice with them. And sometimes we find ourselves in difficulty looking at the person who's being honored and going, who in the world are they? I mean, why are they getting honored and I'm not getting honored? I mean, what have they done so great? I know them. What have they done so great? But it's the place that when we can understand that we're one body, and if they're getting honored, the body is being honored, 
through that promotion, through that uplifting. And if someone's hurting, we're all hurting because we're one body. Now, I don't know if you've ever hit your thumb with a hammer before. Or you've ever walked behind your truck and forgot that your hitch was sticking out. (laughs) That one got people. I mean, really, I don't know about you, but when I hit my shin, we didn't walk and the rest of my body go, well, that was dumb. (laughs) My, My mouth said that, but... The rest of my body ran to its aid. It was like, oh, man, what did we do? I mean, it's trying to get blood flowing, everything it can. Why? Because when one member of the body is suffering, members of the body rush to it and help it. There's empathy. Sometimes we're just like, well, that was dumb what you did. I would never do that. Paul's saying, watch out for that. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. There's people who are struggling right now. There's people in our church body who are struggling right now with all that's going on. And sometimes we separate ourselves and we say, why are you struggling? Why are you fearful? Why does this even bother you? But it doesn't say that we should separate ourselves. It doesn't bother me. Why does it bother you? But how can we embrace one another And help one another in this time of change? How can we minister to one another? How can we love on one another in this time of change? Because the enemy, he is the author of division. He would like us to separate ourselves. And all the while say we love each other, but at the same time, we're separating ourselves through situations. Verse 16, he says, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but also associate, but all, (laughs) but, The interpretation of that tongue is, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, and do not be wise in your own opinion. Paul continued to write to the church to be of the same mind. In Philippians, he said, let's be of the same mind, loving one another and esteeming others more highly than ourselves. That really we love with that same mind that was in Christ Jesus that we give ourselves to one another. It's very easy in whatever day that we live in to pick out who we want and to, to, to say, you know what, I'm going to hang out with the, the, the things of the, the lofty. I'm going to hang out with the, the popular crowd. I'm going to hang out with this distinction. But really, Paul is talking a, a great deal here. The church back then, he talked to the church at Corinth and, and, and talked to them about their relationship with one another as a church. When he was talking there about the, the uh, coming together for communion dinner, he was saying the uniqueness about the church in this time is the love feast that you have because they were so separated in the day and the time that they lived in that the church came together regardless of class regardless of where they were at and they loved one another but it started to develop in Corinth that they were starting to say you know what that the people that come in the poor people come in after we've eaten they get kind of the leftovers and Paul said what are y'all doing this is the body of Christ He says, we begin to be of the same mind. We love everybody the same. And we associate ourselves. That got really quiet. We associate with ourselves, right, with those that really we think might need just a little bit, they might be a little bit different than us. 
We begin to associate and, and bring ourselves to the place where we understand this idea of being hospitable. What he says just before that, that we, we distribute to the needs of others and we're hospitable. And so when people come in and there's people of different status, of different class, that we love everybody the same. We have the same mind. We are all of one body. We are all redeemed by the blood. We were all once sinners and now we've been born again. I didn't earn my salvation. I didn't earn what I have. It was by the blood of Jesus. And wherever I am is only by the grace of God and what he put on the inside of me and the gift and the grace that he put on the inside of me. It's not better than you or lesser than you, but we're of the same mind. But we all came from the deadness of sin and we were brought to life by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we didn't redeem and ransom ourselves by our own works, but we were redeemed by the blood. And it doesn't matter if you came out of drugs and alcohol, whether you were educated or uneducated. Whether you have money or you don't have money, we all came into the kingdom the same way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. If we have that mindset, we begin to mesh and meld together as one. The devil would like to separate us and say, well, you're better, and look what you've done. I was talking to somebody the other day. And, you know, we all come in the same way. We all lived. Ephesians chapter 2 says, you know what? We all once lived according to the course of this world, which is dictated by the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, the one that works in those who are the offspring of Adam's disobedience held in sin, they're still governed by the course of this world. He said, we don't live that way anymore, but we used to. So when Christians look at somebody coming in and, They're still not finding their way. They're struggling. They're asking for help, and they do something that we wouldn't think of doing after we're so educated in the Word. And we can get to the point if we're not careful, like, I would never do something like that. Well, you already have. I would never say something like that. You already have. Say, no, I would never say something like that. Yes, you you might not have said that, but you said something like that. Because we all came from the same place. It just hit you, and you wouldn't have said those words. But you've said hurtful things. It's just when it hurts you, you think, I would never hurt anybody like I'm hurting right now, but... Let's ask the people you've been around and find out if you've ever hurt anybody. Because we all come from the same place. We should love one another. He says, don't be wise in your own opinion. Right? We can get to the point that my opinion is the right opinion. I know everybody else has an opinion. Mine's just the right one. (laughs) All right, let's keep moving. So he says we have to be relationally strong. The next thing I believe he encapsulizes here is don't get caught up in the thought of making people pay. One of the greatest strategies of the enemy is somebody has to pay for what happened to me. It can be great or small. But somebody has to pay. And so he says, repay no one evil for evil. 
have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Come on, right now, we got people going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. If you listen to anything, no one that's asked the question in the public eye, rarely do they answer a question. The only way they answer a question is, but didn't this person do it? Do you think that's right? They won't answer right or wrong. They answer, well, didn't that person do this? Well, do you think that's right? Well, didn't that person do this? And since they did this, shouldn't we do this? And it's all talking about evil for evil. And we as the church shouldn't be getting into that. Let's do evil because they did evil. Let's do tit for tat. Let's do an eye for an eye. But he said we should be looking to do good in the sight of all men. We should be looking to do good in the sight of all men. He said in verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. Now listen, you might not be able to live peaceably with all men because some of that doesn't depend on you and it doesn't depend on me. But as much as depends on us, we should live peaceably with all men. See, even right now, if we're not careful, we, we, we're going to give a lot of pushback. And we don't care if it's peaceable or not. We're going to push back. But Paul says right here, and understand this, Paul's not talking from an American democracy perspective, Paul's had a lot of pushback. He's telling them they're having a lot of pushback. They're looking at being overcome by the evil of the world. They're in Rome right now, and they're looking at being overcome. And he says, listen, you can still overcome this evil with good. Because no matter what's going on around you, you have the, the place in you. You have the place in you that you can live peaceably with all men. You can forgive. You don't have to pay back. You don't have to make people pay. Verse 19, he says, Do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will pay, says the Lord. Now, you can just go to the end of the book if you want to and uh, really just read it the best that you can. It's a fairly deep book that I can't tell you that I fully understand. But when you get to it, you're like, wow, what in the world is going on here? How does all this happen? And people still shake their fist at God and do all that's going on. But there is a place where God's wrath is going to be poured out. And God said, if you walk with me every single day, you live with me every single day, you walk with me. Those who are evil, those who are wicked, those who stand against you, I will take care of that. He says you can get caught up in your life of making people pay for what they've done to you and it will consume your life with evil. It'll overtake you. I'm going to stonewall them. I'm going to ignore them. I'm going to hold that against them. I'm going to make them pay in some way or another. He says don't get caught up in that. Don't try to avenge yourself. Just give that wrong over to God and keep moving with God. God knows your life. God knows what he wants to do with their life. He knows if he wants to reconcile, if he's able to. And if not, there's coming a day. God knows it. Come on, we get consumed with what's happened to us and how it's all going to come together. Who's going to pay for it? But we understand this. Jesus has already paid the price. So he comes to this 
to end overcoming evil with good. He says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you heap coals of fire on his head. And so some of us think, all right, that's what I'll do. And that'll just torment my enemy. And he's still just talking about walking in the love of God. He's not talking about, ah, this will be like, oh, I'll get them. No, he's talking about if you love them, really, you're overcoming the evil that the enemy attended through that wrong, through that relationship, you're overcoming evil with good, right? And so really, we just tried to break down. We live in a time where if we're not careful, whether you're listening to the news, you're understanding this COVID, I mean, the more that I listen, people talk, things, whether it's political, whether it's uh, uh, the COVID pandemic, whatever it is, I mean, families are being divided, I talk to people at work and their workplace, people who hung around and enjoyed life together and worked together for a common goal are getting divided. The churches are getting divided. I mean, we, can't, I, we need to understand this. This is a strategy of the enemy. Or if you feel that way, I can't, I can't hang out with you anymore. Boy, if you, if you think that, I can't hang. Man, whoop, it's a strategy of the enemy. We're being pressed in on many sides by evil. And Paul said, listen, I can tell you, that if you can walk with God, if you can understand what redemption has done for you, what, the, what is in you by the new man, in the life and the nature, what the graces of God empower you to do in walking in love and not allow division to come into your family, to come into where you work, to come into where you live. And so many of these things are temporal. We may look back in one year and go, Wow, wasn't 2020-something? But be rolling again. And we spent time being angry, being bitter, being divided over something that was going to pass. Instead of joining together and rising out of the midst of it as something that is distinctly different than what is going on in the world. I believe God wants us to come together and overcome all this with the goodness of God. Amen. And if we can do that and display the goodness of God, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance and to turn to him. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify and we glorify you. You're good, good.